that you would reveal yourself and your truth to us. We do need you. Do what only you can do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are. We're in week two of our series, Reset. We started last week with this understanding that everything that is created has a beginning. You have a beginning. Your plans and dreams have a beginning. Ideas have a beginning. Parenting has a beginning. Relationships have a beginning. I want you to know as well, this series that we're doing, Reset, had a beginning. It's been festering in my mind for a very, very long time, in my heart, in my spirit. I've been thinking about this series that we're calling Reset. It came to my mind out of a concern I have for our congregation, for our church family, and for believers in this community and all over this country. This concern and this understanding that the vast majority of believers in this room this morning, and I know I just used a word, vast majority, but that the majority, the vast majority of believers in this room this morning, if they were honest with themselves, would admit that there's been a time in their life when they were closer to the Lord than they are now. That there's times in their life when they've looked at God and they've said, I am all yours. You can have all of me. And then life happens. Experiences happen. Some things that we experience in life cause us to, to question some of the things that we were taught on our faith journey. Some of those things as children, but some of those things... As young adults, as, as adults, we were told that, 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 that God is love, but we see so much things that are so many things that are unlovely. We were told that, that God answers prayer, but you prayed and He didn't answer your prayer. And, and some of these experiences have begun to get you to a place where you're wondering if all of this stuff is, is really true. Oh, I know that there's a God, I know that He's there, but I'm trying to figure out if He's relevant for me. And it's come to a place where it's not that God isn't the most important thing in your life. It's that he's not important in your life at all. You know he's there. You know he's real. You believe in Jesus. You believe in the cross. But you're beginning to wonder if this is really something that's relevant to me. And so we're going to take some time, several weeks as a matter of fact, and we're going to hit the reset button. And we're going to try to look at some things maybe that we've been taught for years and years and years in a little bit different way. Last week, we, we kind of came to the conclusion that one of the things that we want to do is we want the foundation, the starting point of our faith to be a question. And it's not a question about whether or not there really was an ark it's not a question about how long creation took. And those things are important questions. It's, it's not a question uh, about if God is good, why is there so much bad in the world? And, and if God is good, then why do bad things happen to good people? Important questions. We spend time here talking about those questions, but it's, it, none of those questions are the foundation or the starting point for our faith journey. Here's the question you've got to wrestle with. The question is this, who is Jesus? Who is he really? 
I don't want to tell you who Jesus is. I could sit here and tell you who I think Jesus is. That's something you got to wrestle with. you got to know who he is. I would remind you, as we talked last week, that he has given us proof of who he is. And proof of who he is is worth your time. It's worth your investment. It's worth investigating. Who is Jesus? We're going to set that question aside, but I pray that you'll continue to wrestle with that question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? And we're going to set that question aside for for just a few weeks. Today, we're going to talk about something that I think many of you, you just hate it when I talk about this. We're going to talk about a word. It's not a word that is used in your everyday life. Usually when, when we use this word, it comes up in a, in a religious kind of conversation. Here's the word, sin. It's not something that you use around the house. As a matter of fact, it's a word we shun. It's a word we resist. I don't like to hear that word. I don't even like you talking about it, Dale. When the kids mess up at, at home, you, you know, you don't say, go to your room, I'm going to come in there and we're going to talk about your sin. And the boss never says, I want to see you in my office, there's some sin in your life that we need to address. You get pulled over by a cop, you don't get a, 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 a sin citation. We don't... We don't like that word. We resist that word. I think the reason that we, that, that we stay away from that word is because sin has this connotation of, of finality. It has this, this idea of there's, there's no wiggle room. There's no, there's no place for me to, to, to there, there's, there's no opportunity for me to place the blame on somebody. That's, that's not my inner child. It's not the way I was raised. It's not my dad's influence. It's, it's sin, and it's on me, and it's my fault, and it's, it's something that I did. We don't like that word sin. And so we use another word in its place. The word we use is mistake. It's a terrible word to use in the place of sin. We have seen politicians or public figures on the TV set with microphones all around them as they confess the mistake that they have made. I made a mistake. For the past four years, I've made a mistake. And we're thinking to ourselves, hold on a second. Wait a minute. That's not a mistake. It's bigger than a mistake. A mistake, that's, that's something you make on a, on a math test. If I said this morning, no context, I started fresh, just walked up here on the platform, and I said this morning, how many of you in your past, you don't have to go back far, have made a mistake? Everybody would raise their hand. As a matter of fact, if you didn't raise your hand, people would look at you like, What are you, perfect? You miss perfect? But if I came on the platform this morning, started fresh, no context at all, and I said, how many of you in your past have sinned? Well, the people on the front row, here's what they'd be doing. 
wondering who is going to raise their hand. We have this idea that a mistake is insufficient knowledge. We say to ourselves, you know, I made the mistake because I really didn't understand what I was doing. You knew exactly what you were doing. We need to to go deeper here because this is really, really important as we consider and as we think about hitting a reset button on this faith journey. The fact of the matter is, these mistakes that we call them, is sometimes we make those mistakes on purpose. Isn't it true that, 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 that some things you've called a mistake you did on purpose? When someone confesses to a four-year-long mistake, that's crazy. Don't you agree that it's much bigger than a mistake? Besides that, sometimes we plan our mistakes. What do you call a mistake that you plan? Some of you, you've gone out and made a purchase so that you can make your mistake. Some of you have a stash of mistakes hidden in your home. Some of you have already planned your next mistake. Come on. Don't you think that calling it a mistake falls far short of the gravity of the act, a planned mistake. Is there such a thing as a premeditated mistake? Some of us make the mistakes over and over. What do you call a mistake that you make over and over? What do you call a person who makes the same mistake over and over? Now look, what do you do when you make a mistake? What what do you do? It starts with a C. What do we do when we make a mistake? We correct a mistake. That's what you do. You correct a mistake. You go back and you fix it. You made a mistake. You turned right instead of left. And so you go back and, and you fix the mistake and you turn left. You erase it. And you do it again. You say to somebody, hey, thanks for that advice. Thanks for that counsel. Thanks for that, that, that help. I won't make that mistake again. You correct a mistake. Now, the problem in, in our experience is that you can't correct yourself. And you're really... The problem. The problem is me. The problem is you. And if we're going to be honest, we've had a really, really hard time correcting ourselves. We, we, we try to figure out, why is it that I keep doing the things I don't want to do? I don't do the things that I know I should do. And why am I unwilling? Why am I unable to embrace the reality that this problem may be much, much greater than a mistake that I have made? 
try to correct yourself. Your spouse has tried to correct you. You try to correct your children. Some have paid professionals hundreds of dollars and asked them to try and correct you. And you find that you just can't be corrected. There have been many, many marriages lost because someone was uncorrectable. There are people who are in debt over their head because they were uncorrectable. There have been jobs and careers that have been ruined and lost because people were uncorrectable. And so it brings us to this place. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? I do things that I don't want to do. I do things that I know hurt me, but I keep doing them. The fact is, many of us, we don't, want to, we don't really want to be totally corrected. As a matter of fact, when we try to self-correct and, and we use our willpower, and I'm not going to do that anymore, and I'm not going to do them, we go a week and maybe two and maybe three and maybe four. At the end of that fourth week, maybe at the end of the fifth week, we think to ourselves, man, I haven't done that in a week. I owe myself one. Because there's something inside of us that doesn't want to be totally corrected. Why would you do something that hurts you? And the better question is, why would you do it again and again? Would you agree with me this morning? I don't think that we can attribute this this insanity, this insane behavior to, well, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. I just made a mistake. Maybe it's a deeper problem. Perhaps the problem is You are a sinner. Maybe it goes that deep. Perhaps in reality, the problem is sin. Even if we want to kind of dumb it down to a mistake. Here's how we're going to define a sinner, someone who knows better but does it anyway. This morning, I want to, to share with you a little bit about how Jesus talked about sin. Now, here's the thing, and you got to get this. It's real important. When Jesus talked about sin, he always talked about sin in the context of relationships. And what he teaches us and what he shares with us and what he said, what all of us have experienced is that sin breaks relationships. Sin breaks relationships. So Jesus' purpose in talking about sin was restoration not condemnation. Jesus says, I want to I sit with you. I, I want to talk with you about sin. And you say, I don't want to talk about sin. It makes me feel condemned. It makes me feel 
bad. But Jesus says, no, we really need to talk about sin because if we don't, you can experience restoration. And you, you can't experience restoration until you're willing to accept the fact that you are a sinner, not just a mistaker. Jesus knew that as long as we were unwilling to acknowledge that we are sinners and we're thinking to ourselves we're only mistakers, he knew as long as we're in that state, we would never seek what we need to experience restoration. Because if sin breaks relationships, what is it that restores relationships? Here's what we do. We sin. We make a mistake. We're confronted. And our response is, sorry. Thinking that that's enough. Does that restore the relationship? Sorry. I didn't, I didn't have enough information. I didn't really understand what I was doing. I, it, it, I just made a mistake. Sorry. Let's continue now. Can we just go back? Can we be okay? Everything's fine now, right? I said, sorry. We don't even say, I'm sorry. We just say, sorry. As if that's going to fix everything. Listen, it's not enough, is it? You know that. Why isn't it enough? What's wrong with that? Here's what's wrong with that. Because all we've done when we go, sorry... All we've done is that we've acknowledged that we made a mistake. And as long as we think it's a mistake, we'll never seek forgiveness. Because mistakes don't require forgiveness. That's bad judgment. I didn't know any better. I just didn't have all the information. Sorry. The only way, you got to get this, the only way for a relationship to be restored is for the offender to acknowledge that there was an offense. The only way for a relationship to be restored is for the offender to acknowledge that there was an offense. Jesus comes along and he says, your heavenly father wants to restore the relationship with you. And the only way that that is going to happen is if you will acknowledge that you are a sinner, not a mistaker, a sinner. And the only way to be restored is to seek Forgiveness. You're not going to seek forgiveness until you acknowledge that this act is far greater than a mistake, but that in fact you sinned and you are a sinner. And he drives that point home. And then he says, but listen, don't freak out on me because that's not the end. It is a means to an end, a very, very important end. So Jesus begins 
to talk to them about sin. And Jesus has this incredible way of talking about it. He doesn't do what I might be guilty of doing, which is dumbing it down a little bit. Oh, I understand. You know, I, if I was in your place, I probably would have. You, you didn't know what to do. I mean, good gracious, you're not God. You can't expect it to be. He doesn't dummy it down at all. But he begins to raise the bar on sin. And as he raises the bar on sin, the people who are listening are thinking to themselves, I don't, I don't even know why I try. I could never, ever meet that standard. I am doomed. And Jesus says, here's the good news. I'm here for doomed people. As a matter of fact, I'm only here for doomed people. I am not here for the person who will not acknowledge that they are a sinner and that they are doomed. Your heavenly Father loves doomed people. I love doomed people. I'm here for doomed people. Here's how Jesus said it. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not sure these guys really had an understanding of what the kingdom of heaven was, but I, I can tell you this, they were thinking to themselves, that sounds like a place I want to be. But you're saying to me, really, that I have to be better than the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the best people that they knew. The Pharisees were paid to be good. The Pharisees were paid to, 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 to be ceremonially clean so that they could speak to God on behalf of the people. And you're telling me, Jesus, that I have to be good? I, my, my righteousness, my la lifestyle, the, the, that I have to be better than even the Pharisees? Jesus said, unless you're better than the best people you know. You can't go to heaven. Well, tell me what, what you mean, Jesus. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Oh, oh well, I've never murdered. Jesus says, hold on, I'm not done. I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister shall be subject to Judgment. Jesus said, look, if you harbor anger and hate towards your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. And now they're, they're thinking, I can never, ever meet that standard. And Jesus says, there's more. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. I haven't done that. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh, come on, Jesus. And maybe the guys looked around to see if their wife was around, and then they said, everybody has done that. He raises the bar so high that people were thinking, what's the point in even trying then he rushes in and he says, that's why I'm here. Because it, it, 
it doesn't, the experience, the journey, it, it, it doesn't go from, from a sin to condemnation and, and, and in there. It goes from sin to an acknowledgement of sin to forgiveness to restoration. You remember the story of the woman caught in adultery, this great, great story. This woman is brought before Jesus, and after Jesus shame, basically, the people who brought the woman to her, and they leave, and it's just really Jesus and this woman who was caught in adultery, and his disciples were off in a little bit of a distance, probably trying their best to overhear him. Jesus has this conversation with this woman, and he ends the conversation with this woman, and here's what he says to her. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now listen, you turn that around a little bit, and here's what he was saying. Listen, honey, you are a sinner. Stop sinning. That's going to hurt you. That's not good for you, but I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus' probably most famous teaching about this, he's, he's talking to this large crowd of people, and half of the people are really, really bad people. They, they kind of have the attitude of, of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, and when you die, you go to hell. So eat, drink, and be merry, and they're crazy, crazy people. And the other group of, in, in this crowd was really, 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 really good people. And so Jesus wanted to teach them about what God thinks about sin. And so he teaches them about a lost sheep. Maybe you've heard that when you were young and in Sunday school, the lost sheep. He teaches them about a lost coin, which we have a really, really hard time understanding because of our culture. And then he teaches them a story that you're probably familiar with about the prodigal son. And he says to them, and it's important that you understand Jesus made this story up. This didn't really happen. That's important. He says to him, here's this rich man, and he has two sons, and one of the sons came to his dad, and he said to his dad, I really wish you would die because I want my inheritance. But since you won't die, I'm just going to ask you, can I have my inheritance now? And the man gave his son his inheritance and the son left home, and he went and he squandered the inheritance in an extremely sinful lifestyle. And it got to a point where he had spent all of the money and he had nothing. And he was tending pigs because if he tended the pigs, he could at least have what the pigs didn't eat to eat. For himself, And the Bible says that he began to think to himself. He came to himself and he thought, you know what? My dad's servants have more than I have. I'm, I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to ask him if he'll make me a servant. And he begins the journey home. And as he approaches the house, he sees his father afar off. But more important, his father sees him because his father's been waiting for him. And his father begins to run to meet 
his son, and they finally come, and they're standing face to face. And this is, the, this is the words. These are the words that Jesus puts in the mouth of that prodigal son. Here's what he said. Father, I have sinned. I have sinned. There are people in this room, you've never used those three words. I have sinned. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Dad, I recognize that because of what I've done, because of my sin, because of my actions, that our relationship is broken. And I know it's my fault. I'm not worthy to be called your son any longer. I have sinned. Jesus continues the story. And he says, but... Oh, this is, this is going to take a turn that we're not expecting. But the father says to his servants, he doesn't address the son, he addresses the servants, and he says, the father says to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. I imagine that the servant said, hold on a second. Don't you want to know where he's been? No, I don't need to know that. Don't you want to know how he spent your money? No, I don't need to know that. Don't you want to know about all of the ridiculous things that he has done? No, I don't need to know that. All I need to know is that he has come to me and he has admitted his wrong and that the relationship because of that can be restored. It's all about relationship to Jesus. The father says this, my son was dead, but he's alive again. He wasn't dead. He was dead to me. I was dead to him. He was dead. But he's alive again. He was lost, but he is found. And so they began to celebrate relationships. Dead, lost, alive, found. They began to celebrate when you think about Jesus, when you think about this Christian faith, when you think about hitting the reset button, when you think about sin, you have got to understand and you've got to think and you've got to embrace this idea that your sin is not a path that leads to condemnation but that your acknowledgement of your sin is the path that leads back to relationship. The acknowledgement of your sin is the path that leads back to relationship because recognition of sin paves the way to restoration. Jesus says, you got to embrace who you are really so that you can become everything I want you to be. Quit making excuses. Quit thinking you're okay. Quit thinking you've only made a few mistakes and come to me, come to me and say, I have sinned. When you do, I'm going to ask you not to sin again. And I'm not going 
to condemn you. I'm going to offer you forgiveness. And I'm going to restore you. I know that it would be easy to leave here and think, hey, good service. Good message, Dale. Good music today, Arthur. Hey, Dale, high five. I heard what you had to say. It's good stuff, but I really don't look at myself that way. I really am working on myself. I know i got to get better. I know I've made mistakes. I'm making progress, but I'm kind of I'm okay with where I am. Here's what you need to know. Jesus looks at you and he says, you're a sinner. You need to be forgiven. I don't think there's anybody in this room today who needed this message to know that the mistakes that you make go much, much deeper than a mistake. And I, I know that, that that has caused you to kind of wonder, where am I at in my relationship with God? Where do I stand with Him? Why is it that, that, that I'm not as close to him as I used to be? Why is it that, that he's not all that important in my life? Why is it that I just want him to be close enough so that when something bad happens, I can call on him? And I think that Jesus would say to you, this is why. We're, we're separated. We need to be restored. Your heavenly Father wants to have a party. And the only way that he can celebrate is if you will come back. If you will come to him not, not as a mistaker, but as a full-blown sinner. If you will do that, he will say to you what, what he said to that woman who was called in adultery. Don't do that anymore. That's not good for you. That's going to hurt you. That's not my best for you. But I don't condemn you. Because you have come to me and said, I'm a sinner. We have been restored. Jesus always says that the acknowledgement of sin is a means to an end. An end you can't find anywhere else. He beckons you. Come to me. Jesus said in John 3, I did not come into this world to condemn the world, but so the world through me might be restored or saved. You can personalize that. 
Jesus says to you this morning, I did not come into this world to condemn you, but that you, through me, might be restored. Jesus is here. Jesus beckoned you. He's just like the Father who's waiting, who's waiting, who's waiting. Come to me. Come to me. But when you come to him, just tell him so that you can experience his restoration. Let me invite you to stand. Father God, I thank you for preserving your word. I thank you for teaching us your truth. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for drawing us to yourself. Lord, we confess. We don't want to come to you and say, I messed up, I'm wrong, I'm a sinner, I did it, it's my fault, there's nobody else to blame. But we understand, Lord, you've taught us, we believe that that is the path that leads to restoration. That is the path that leads us to to intimacy with you. It leads us to, to a place where we can be all that you want us to be. And God, ultimately, that's our heart. That's what we want. I pray that you would give us each the strength today to come to you. Have your will and way in hearts and lives, I pray in your name. Arthur, you lead us, please.